If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Today we begin a series uh, from the book of the Revelation, and it's entitled The Unveiling, The Unveiling. The message today is entitled, as you saw up there, put it back up there, Brock, that's good. If you all noticed a little today, Brock and Megan are doing their best. They got here at about a, a, uh, right after Sunday school with the responsibility for upstairs, so thank you so much. The unveiling. First thing I want to do is I want to read the scripture. Revelation 1, verses 1 through 3. Let's stand together, if you will, if you found that in your Bible, and let's read it together. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. Blessed is the one who reads about the words of this prophecy and Excuse me, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who keep the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it, because the time is near. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love and blessing. I thank you for your word and how it speaks to us, and I pray that today your word will be a lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. May we hide its word in our heart that we may not sin against you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Over the course of my life, after I left New Hope 46, 47 years ago, I was privileged to serve with many a godly and good pastors, good men, loved the Lord, loved the church, loved their family, Love God's people. And I could go down the list, but <clears throat> you've heard me mention the name of, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> of the last one that I served with, Dr. Alton Butler. Uh, we were at Myrtle Grove in Pensacola when I got there. He'd been there 25 years. In fact, I met him when I left here and went to, uh, to Cantonment. And uh, um, I had the privilege of serving with him for three or four years. And he was in his early 60s, and I was in my late 30s, and we formed a wonderful friendship. We would tease each other. We would pick each other. Uh, he was a very prestigious, very well-respected person among Southern Baptist pastors. He was chairman of the board at Southern Seminary, <clears throat> chairman of the board at Stetson University, and on the board of directors at Baptist Hospital in Pensacola when they went through their huge uh, change and expansion. But we were always picking at each other. And this church was a fairly large church as far as our standards go around here. We had four ministerial staff people, full-time pastor, music, sideship education, youth. Four, so we didn't get to see each other a lot. And this was before, um, before emails. And so we had in our office... 
we had little shelves that we could pass notes to one one another. And uh, it was always happening. Go ahead, Megan, roll that forward, please. Because one day, well, maybe not. It's all right. One day I walked into the office, and uh, uh, there was a note in my desk. It was a little, it was a little uh, clipping uh, from a newspaper, and there was a little note pinned on it. And the clipping said this, The world to end, I think it was, May 31st, 1991. And Brother Al had put a little, me a little note on there and said, J.W., you may want to put this on your calendar and be ready. And then he put a little smiley face on it. So I knew he thought he had me. But you know what? I want you to think about that. Is that the truth is, is that things like Jesus is coming the world's coming to an end. The rapture of the church, the return of Jesus, those things are something that we, sh- we should talk about. And we don't do it much anymore. Now, 45, 47 years ago when, when I was here, we did, Debbie. We sang a lot of songs. We sang Redemption Draweth Now. We sang The King is Coming. We sang Jesus is Coming Soon. And my personal favorite, I wish we'd all been ready. But now you point our attention toward the the book of the Revelation. And there's always been kind of a mystique around this book, probably with good reason. This book is written in such a fashion that some call it a code. It's in symbols. And if you've ever wondered about that, words tend to change their meaning. Let me just give you one for instance. Sixty years ago, the word gay meant one thing. Today, it means something entirely different. But symbols generally remain the same. This book was written with a lot of symbolism that God's people could understand. Now, part of the reason of the mystique is that it's written in such a way that a cursory reading will not open the the floodgates of your understanding. It's not about just a cursory reading of it. It's, it's, a, it's that we have to read it and embrace it as we'll get to in just a second. But when you read it with this eye toward the Father, when you keep on focus, what you will discover is that it reminds us of who He is and whose we are. And it turns out to be a great encouragement for us, and I'm just going to take I'm going to take a moment of personal privilege right here, and just remind everybody in this room: it is not the book of Revelations. There's only one Revelation. One now inside the book of Revelation, many revelations occur. While um, some of the revelations show us, some of the revelations in Revelation show us how God will ultimately judge. The truth is, if that's all we focus on, we're going to miss the big picture. I'm going to give you one last thing about this book before we really dig in, and that is this. It does something that very few other books do. And that is, it gives us a summary. It gives us an outline. 
And it gives us God's plan for the future. I have a prayer for us. Now, we will, we will kind of work our way, amble our way through the book of the Revelation on Sunday mornings. But we will take some um, breaks, for instance. I know four weeks from today, first Sunday of uh, October, I will depart because we will be talking about our dream and have a meeting that night, and I'll, I'll preach to that morning to it. But we'll make our way through it. But here's my real prayer for us. My prayer is, is that you and I will have eyes to hear, eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to know what God wants us to know. I pray that during this time that lives will be reclaimed, restored, refreshed, and even, if needed, restarted, that some would come to salvation in Christ Jesus. So as I look at this book, if you keep your Bible open, as I look at this book, I remind you that John the Disciple, John the Beloved, not John the Baptist, John the Beloved wrote this book. God selected John the Beloved to write this book. He selected the place. We read about that last week. He was on the Isle of Patmos. We'll get to that again in a couple of weeks. And he gave him the power to open the truth. So here's what I want to do. The first thing that I want to point out to you is the summary of this book. This book is summarized in the first five words of the book. Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Those five words summarize the entire 22 chapters of this book. The revelation. Revelation. It comes from a word, apocalyptus, in the Greek, which means disclosure, which means appearing, which means uncovering, which means unveiling. This is the unveiling of Jesus. That's why I call the series The Unveiling. We don't know a lot about veils today like we used to. I'm about to get to some white-haired people who know what I'm talking about. Time was when there was a wedding in the church, when the bride started down the aisle, there was a veil on her face. Groom was not supposed to see her that day because the first time he saw her face to face, and whether you realize it or not, was kind of symbolic, that she came down with a veiled face and she stood on the platform to exchange vows with a veiled face. And then finally he, the, the pastor pronounced them husband and wife, you may now, John, you may now kiss Sue. And he would take symbolically and he would lift the veil. So as the first time as his wife, he could see her face. Veils are mentioned all the way through the Bible. I remind you that when Moses came down from talking to God, he veiled his face so everybody could see him. I remind you that there was a veil in the temple when Jesus died. It separated the common man from the holy of holies. And the common man could not go into the holy of holies without an advocate. And when Jesus died on the cross, God took the veil and he rent it in two. It says it rent from top to bottom, just like he grabbed it in his hands and ripped it apart so now that we can go in to see him. Folks, this, this book talks about a lot of things and we'll get to that. But please do not miss this. It talks about the very thing, the very person that you and I need to know, and that is Jesus.
Jesus. That's the summary of the book. So now let's move forward. You got it up there. Thanks, guys. Just move it forward now. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to give you the four, the four truths that I picked out of these, that I just lifted out of these. We talked about it being the book of Jesus. And first of all, I want us to see the person of this book. The person of this book. The biggest mistake people make when they study the book of the Revelation is to see the stuff and to miss the Savior. It's to see the spectacular and miss the sovereign God to see the proceedings that are going on and without the person. It's all about Jesus. And we forget that. We get all bundled up in our traditions and our organizations and we forget Jesus. And yet the Bible is all about Jesus. In the gospel, it presents his humanity. In the revelation, it presents his divinity. In the gospels, it presents him crucified. In the revelation, it presents him crowned. In the gospels, it presents him as a suffering servant. In the revelation, it presents him as a sovereign king. In the gospels, it presents him as a lamb. And in the revelation, it presents him as Lord of lords and king of kings. It's all about Jesus. See him today for who he really is. There are many things in this book as we go through it. If you pick it up and start reading through it, it'll be fine. But there are many things that can distract us. But our goal will be to keep the focus on the focus instead of seeing the seals, see the Savior. Instead of seeing the trumpets, see the truth. Instead of seeing the bold judgments, see the, the great judge. Instead of seeing the mark of the beast, See the mark of the blessed. You know why? Because Jesus has been in control. He is in control. And he will always be in control. When Jesus speaks, oh, excuse me, when John writes here, he gives a testimony. That's what verse 2 is all about. A testimony about what he sees and knows. Testimony. You know what he knows? Let's see if we can get it up here. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If I continue with that, it's not on the screen. All things were with Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made, and in Him was life. And that life was the light of men. You see, John knew those things. He had already penned those things. But not only what John knew is the reason that God chose John to write this, to write this revelation. It's what he had saw. He was an eyewitness. Have you ever considered all that John saw? Just think about it. Just think back through the ministry of Jesus. When Jesus went up on the mountaintop with the 18th, Peter, James, and say it with me. Let's try that again. I know you just got comfortable. I made you react, okay? When Jesus went up on the mountain with the 18th, which was Peter, James, and... And John, hey, Jesus took off his humanity and he transfigured himself. And John got to see him as the God he was. Can you imagine what that sight was like? Can you imagine how it humbled him? He was there. John was there when Jesus taught the multitudes. He was there when John fed the multitudes. He, he was there when Jesus fed the multitude. He was there at the feeding of the 5,000. He was there when Jesus healed the sick. He was there when Jesus raised the dead. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was there when Jesus cast out demons. He was there when Jesus was abused, when he was crucified. 
and when he died. In fact, the only disciple of record at the cross was John. John knew Jesus. He was there at the empty tomb. You see, folks, we need to see Jesus in his humanity. We need to see Jesus in his divinity because it makes a difference. In his humanity, he loved the world. In his, humanity, in his divinity, he was moved with compassion. In his humanity, he wept over the sin of the world. In his divinity, he died for your sin and my sin, died for the sin of the world. In his humanity, he was in the ground for three whole days. And in his divinity, listen, he came back from the dead. You know anybody that's done that? Brother Jerry, why are you making such a big deal of this? Here's why. It's because if you know the person of the revelation, it will give meaning, perspective, and a personal connection to the revelation. Let me just illustrate it this way. Every day, hundreds and thousands of commercial flights fly over this world. All over this world. We don't give it much thought because it's pretty normal, pretty common. But let's add a let's add a little something there. Let's say that you have a grandbaby in New York City, and that grandbaby is getting on a flight to come home. Now then that particular plane has a lot more importance to you. Could I get an amen? Because you've got a personal stake in that plane. Revelation is the same way, brothers and sisters. If you don't know the person, you might not care about this book. Some people say this book's not important. It might become in you kind of a Kesara Sarah deal. But please listen, if you have a personal relationship with this Jesus of the Revelation, the Jesus who came and lived a perfect, sinless life, the Jesus who died on a cross for your sin so that you could come into the Holy of Holies, so that you could be saved, so that you could have eternity, if you have a personal relationship with him, then this study, this walkthrough will mean a great deal to you. The person is none other than Jesus Christ. We're trying to unveil him publicly. But I ask you today, is Jesus unveiled in your life? Is Jesus front and center in your life? Is it all about Jesus Has he done a work in you? Do you hear his voice? Do you walk with him? The person. Second thing I see here is in verse 2 is I see the purpose. I see the purpose. And what is the purpose? Look at at there in verse 1. It says, uh, "Revelation uh, Revelation of Jesus Christ that God, here it is, gave him to show his servants What must soon take place. The very purpose. 
Why is this important? Why is it so important? Why was it important back then for John to receive it? Well, because back then, the believers, the Christ followers, were under a great deal. Now, are you listening? You better listen because this may come home to roost for long. They were under a great deal of persecution. Twenty-five years earlier, approximately, Nero had leveled Jerusalem. And now believers, in 95 A.D. when John wrote this, believers were being persecuted, martyred, put on an island. So the need for this book, when Jesus gave it to John, was to encourage the people you say, well, did he? Well, don't know, but I'll tell you this. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, and he said, when he talked about the second coming of Christ, he said, comfort one another with these words. If it was bad news for the redeemed of the Lord, how could they be find comfort? John was so comforted that when he gets to chapter 22, you remember how he ends it? Even so, Lord, come quickly. Come now. I'm waiting. Brothers and sisters, friends, to everybody in this room, you have a reason to be encouraged. If you know Christ, be encouraged because he's on the throne of your heart. And his plan is to rescue you from this perverse world. If there's one among us that doesn't know Christ, you be encouraged. you know why? Because his nail-scarred hands is still reaching out to you and inviting you into his family, inviting you to be saved, inviting you to be redeemed. You see, Jesus always, throughout his earthly life and through eternity, he always has invited people to find abundant life here, life to the fullest here and an eternal life beyond. That's the purpose. It's to show us these things. The third thing that I will show you here is, is the promise. The promise. Well, what in the world is the promise? Well, let me just... The Old Testament book, there's some Old Testament books that, that we will be looking at from time to time. Daniel is one of the big ones. But I'm going to tell you, in chapter 12 of Daniel... He's told to close that book and to seal it. Revelation, on the other hand, is a book that's open for all to see. And the understanding generally is based on whether you're a Christ follower or not. I don't mean whether you're a church member. I mean whether you're a Christ follower or not. Verse 3 is one of seven Beatitudes that we find in the book of the Revelation. And in this we find the promise. Look on the screen and let's read it. He says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud, and blessed are those who hear the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who keep what is written in it. Now we're going to leave that there just for a second. <coughs> so, we, <coughs> excuse me, so we can kind of unpack it. The term blessed <coughs> is the same term that Jesus used in Matthew 5 when he, gave, when he started the Sermon on the Mount and he gave the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are uh, those who are persecuted. 
Blessed are the meek. Now, unfortunately, some Bible versions use the word happy. Happy. It's a very weak translation of that word. The word is makarios in the Greek, and it means highly favored. When I read that, do you remember anybody in the Bible being highly favored? Probably several. But you know the one that comes to my mind? Mary, you are highly favored. She was going to have the baby that we know to be Jesus. Now, we look back through time, that might be a real happy event. But I'm telling you, a 15, 14-year-old girl being told by an angel she was going to have a baby, it probably caused a little angst to start with. Y'all with what I'm telling you? Blessed. Favor of God. The person who has favor of God. Watch this. Blessed is the one who reads aloud. Now, I understand the older translations didn't use the word aloud. But those were also, many of those were written back in the years when reading was the big thing. It really means read aloud. It it means public reading. It means read it again and again. It means read it until you recognize it. Read it until you distinguish it. Read it till you acknowledge it. Read it till you embrace it. Even read it to where you know what it means. It means hover over it. Read it until you have developed the knowledge of what it means. Once is not enough. Blessed is he who reads the word, reads aloud the words of the prophecy in your quiet time. You get to a place where you can read aloud. It means more to you. You'll remember it more. It'll stick with you more. Blessed is the one who reads aloud. Blessed are those who hear. <laughs> now, we all understand about conversations, don't we? Come on. You're not that, you're not that uh, uh, spiritual. You, you know what I'm talking about. Every conversation, there's a speaker and a listener. Are you all with me? Did I lose anybody? There's a speaker and a listener. You got it? And sometimes the listener... Hears, but doesn't hear. Are y'all with me? How come all the women are shaking their heads? Yes. You, you, men, we got this figured out and we didn't even study it. You can just listen superficially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You can listen for facts. My confession, there she sits right back there. That's Brother Jerry. I listen for the facts. The biggest tussles that we have, we don't fight, we tussle, and she normally wins. The, the biggest tussles we have, I'm going bottom line. Bottom line. Men, don't do that. Your pastor may, he's trying to break the habit after business years. You listen superficially, you listen for the facts, or you listen with understanding. And that's what this is. Blessed are those who hear, who actually hear to the point of adhering to them. You know, when I read this particular beatitude, it blows a hole in the people that say, well, Revelation is not important. I'm not really going to study it because it's not important. It's just the tag on of those folks that say 
that uh, uh, it's just all symbols and myths and all of this. This is the Word of God. Blessed are those who read it aloud. Blessed are those who hear it. And then it says, blessed are those who keep. Keep. The word keep means to guard, to preserve, to reserve. Watch this on this holiday weekend. To observe like you're observing Labor Day tomorrow. Tomorrow your schedule will be changed, many of, you, many of us. Because it's a holiday. We are observing the holiday by our actions. And that's exactly what, what John is writing to us. Blessed are those who keep. You know, when we ignore any part of God's Word, we fail, or better said, fall short in our responsibility before Him. And make no mistake about this. I don't care how old or young you are. Whenever we fall short, the Bible terms it sin. And sin is literally missing the blessing, missing the highly favor. Blessed is he who reads aloud. Blessed is he who hears. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy. Because the words of this prophecy will bring peace and comfort and even anticipation about what the future holds. The last word that I discover here in these in these verses is the pledge. The pledge that God gave. You know what he you know what it is? The time if I have lost you to now snap back to you for me, do me one favor, give me the next five or seven minutes. The pledge is the time is now. Some people will say well, John wrote this 2,000 years ago. <laughs> he missed it. Well, let's see if we can get some scriptures up on the screen that helps us. Peter reminds us that God's timetable is not ours. Peter, 2 Peter 3.8. Don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a 1,000 years. And a 1,000 years is like one day. You see, the return is on his timetable, not yours nor mine. We can watch the signs. Matthew tells us a good bit about signs. Jesus replied to them, watch out, that no one deceive you, for many will come in my name. Hey, have you heard of anybody in the last ten years coming and proclaim themselves to be the Messiah, to be God? If you haven't, you've got your head in a hole like an ostrich, because they've been coming more and more, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. Did you watch the news this week? See what's going on in Russia and China and how they're daring America? Wars and rumors of wars. But don't be alarmed, because these things must take place. The end is not quite yet. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. What I just said. There will be famines. Do you know how many people are going to, to bed hungry? Starving? How many kids a year die because there's no food? 
and earthquakes in various places. Now I want you to watch this verse 8. All of these events are the beginning of labor pains. Okay, that's decidedly a female, no matter what the modern day culture tells us, that's decided a female thing. Thank you. Thanks, Brent. I knew I'd count on you, buddy. The truth is, ladies, those are pains, unless you're one of the very lucky ones. Those are pains which you do not think you can handle, except for the fact you know what's at the end. That's exactly what's going on in this world. You don't think you can handle it, except if you know what's going on at the end, and that is that you know the person of this book. And you know how it's going to end. Let's move a little further here. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted. We don't know anything about that in America. But you better hold your horses. And they will kill you. You will be hated of all, by all nations because of my name. And then, because of all of that, many are going to fall away, betray one another. Man, do you know that Steve Bennett still professes Jesus as Lord? Do you know that Joe McNabb's given his life to Christ? Betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because the lawlessness will multiply. And, whew, and the love of many will grow cold. Step out on a limb here. The pandemic has revealed the love of many growing cold. People that used to not ever, rarely ever, miss gathering with God's people have now decided it's easier to stay home. The love has grown cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When you read those things, it's just like it's unfolding before our very eyes. How about a sobering picture up here? Paul wrote to Timothy some of the most startling, modern, up-to-date things about these days. But know this. Hard times will come in the last days. For people will be <laughs> lovers of self. Has there ever been a day when number one was not as center stage as today? You know what the, you know what the, you know what the, the number one thing we do today? Selfies. Selfies. Because we're the center of our world. It's all about me. Lovers of self, lovers of money. Somebody tell me that money don't drive everything. Boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents. We had this conversation in a group, adult group the other day just asking, when was it? There's a group of preachers asking, when was it? that the children started running the household. 
I can tell you. It wasn't in the 70s. It wasn't in the 60s. Daddy still ran our household. It's somewhere around the early 80s that the change began. And today most households are run, their schedules are run by the children. Ungrateful, unholy. Oh, I'm not perfect. Nobody can be perfect. God said, be holy as I'm holy. And he hadn't changed that. Unloving, irreconcilable. Has our country ever been in a political state where you thought it was as unreconcilable as today? Isn't it interesting that that fell about 50 years after, 50, 60 years after uh, uh, we kicked God out of the public square? Slanderers without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good. Does anybody see these characteristics in our culture today? Traitors, reckless, conceited. Here it is. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I mentioned this last week, 1992. 293, George Barnard released a book entitled The Frog and the Kettle, and he told us ministers we can mess with a lot of things in the lives of our people, but we better leave their playtime alone. Holding, here's the one that nails us, holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. The people of the last days. And then it gives a little warning to Timothy from Paul. It says, avoid these people. When you consider the state of our, of our culture and even the churches today, this is like reading a newspaper. We can be sure that the day is coming soon. The pledge is, the time is near. We can be sure that it's soon because no one's expecting it. How does that play into the Bible? How about another scripture? Hang with me just for a second. As in the days of Noah were, so the coming of man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were doing all the normal things. They were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all the way. And this is the way of the coming of the Son of Man. The truth is it will come when nobody thinks it's coming. It will surprise us. When predictions were running rampant, nobody really thought it was going to happen. Not even the children of God. How is it going to happen? Are you ready? Eyes wide open. Are you ready? About Jesus, are you ready? Let me give you this last scripture. This is it. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grounded at the mill with a hand mill. One will be taken one left. I want to stop there to say this. You know what jumped out at me yesterday when I was rereading this, preparing for today? Those two men and those two women. Obviously, they were connected. They could have been brothers or sisters, daddy's son, mother-daughter, cousins, friends, neighbors. They were connected. 
One was taken, so one knew. One was left. Never got told. Therefore, be alert since you don't know the day of his appearing. Be ready, be alert, be prepared. Here's how I'm ending this message today. Attention all people. Everybody in this room, everybody that's watching by live stream, with your eyes wide open, I implore you to open your eyes and see the signs. I implore you to open your ears and listen for the sound. And I plead with you, open your heart and allow the Savior to change you. Be ready. Be prepared. Have your eyes open looking for Jesus. Let's pray together.